Welcome everyone to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by North Coast. It's Justin Nielsen here and we also have Arusha Pierce from O'Neill Global Advisors, a portfolio manager there as always. It's April 20th, 2022 and our special guest this week is Eric Kroll. He's also the manager and founder of Kroll Asset Management. He was a meetup leader from Naperville uh, long ago. With That's where I met him. Uh, gosh, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. It must have been. Is that right, Eric? Yeah, it's been that long. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. So uh, it's a great to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, great to be on your show. I've been listening to you guys for years and it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So um, on the show today, now we had Eric on IBD Live uh, not too long ago, and we were really getting into the follow through day concept in a, in a pretty deep way. And one of the things that people were requesting is, man, they, they, they wanted more. So Eric was kind enough to join us on the show uh, to share some of the research that he's done over over many, many years. Uh, and of course, it's one of those things that just doesn't stop. We're constantly adding to it. Um, so we're going to get a, into a deep dive of that. So we're going to start with that investing lesson uh, this this week. And then we'll get into a little bit of the current market in the second segment at the end of the second segment, because we want to give this one a lot of time. And as always, we're going to cover a few stocks that might be on Eric's radar. So uh, let's hop right into it. So Eric, uh, tell, tell me a little bit of why you decided to do this whole study and get get so nerdy on this. <laughs> well, it all started about 20 years ago when I first started investing the Can Slim method, and uh, I read in one of the books I can't remember which edition it was one of the early ones where Bill said something like 70 to 80 percent of successful rallies start with a follow through day, and when I heard that I thought, well, those odds are really in your favor. Uh, if you're going to be right 70 to 80 percent of the time, of course you would you'd bet on that. And I found back in like 2002, 2003, um, when we had a great bull market that, you know, I was confusing uh, brains with a bull market. And I, there were times when after that, I would be plunging in with a lot of my capital right after on a follow through day or soon after. And it wasn't working well. And I'd be uh, giving back gains from prior years or, or just taking losses. And so it became obvious to me that 70 to 80 percent of the follow-through days working or being successful wasn't really right. And so I decided to dig into it deeper and I started to study follow-through days uh, analytically and start looking at how much you gain, how long they last, and the time it takes to get this, you know, from one follow-through day to the next and so on. And that's how it all started. Eric, so when, when you said that uh, you're, you're plunging in, were you just buying kind of like the, the ETFs at that point, right, when you saw fall today, or were you plunging into the first few stocks that were breaking out? I, I was plunging into uh, stocks, individual stocks that I thought were leaders. Okay. Um, I think when I started this, there weren't even that many ETFs. I think there was the QQQ. Yeah, Q, and that was yes, it. Yes, yeah, yeah. But, you uh, had the Qs, you had the yeah. spiders. Uh. Yeah. But uh, no, I was going to individual stocks okay. and uh, I found that I'd get some quick gains and then they, the things would fail within a week or two and uh, I'd be taking losses and you could die with a thousand paper cuts That's if you true. do it right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and this is kind of a good starting point because one of the one of the things that we were asked a lot and, and you know, I've got a lot of data on markets and everything. Um, Frequently asked question is, well, you know, what percentage of these work? You know, you, you've got this follow through day and you say that, um, you know, bull markets don't really start without one of these signals. And, and just so people remember what we're talking about, a follow through day is after a downtrend, uh, you have a, a rally day that kind of is your first point. And then your second point is the confirmation of that rally. So you tend to be up with power. So we might use one and a quarter percent um, or more sometimes in, in very volatile markets. And you want to see that volume being heavier than the day before. So that's, that's your follow through day concept. So one of the things that people would ask a lot is, well, you know, how many of them work? And the, the trick was, and I tried to nail, nail Bill down on this, and he was a little squirrely on it. Uh, he, you know, he bobbed and weaved uh, whenever the question would come up. Um, but but the, biggest, the biggest question is, 
well, what does it mean to work? What, what, is, what is the definition of a successful follow-through day? And you almost have to start with that before you do anything. So where, where, did, you, where did you come down on that uh, to, to come up with your statistics? Well, that question was exactly what vexed me too. When you start to have to define what is success, um, I started to try my own methods. And then I uh, wrote an email uh, to Chris Gessel when I came up with some numbers to see, what, what, what do you think about what I'm, how I'm defining this? And I was lucky to get a response back so quickly. And uh, he kind of said, well, it sounds like what you're doing would work and would, would be consistent with what Bill thinks. So, um, so I went ahead and I started looking at, um, you need a certain amount of time for the uh, rally to be successful. And you also need a certain amount of gain. Uh, I mean, it sounds pretty obvious, right? But, mm -hmm. but what numbers would you pick? Right? So, um, I looked at a scatter diagram of everything I had in terms of how long a follow through or, or how long a rally lasted and what percent gain you would get at the end. And when I looked at the scatter diagram, I started drawing lines in and it looked, came out with, I think you need a rally to be long enough to make some money or give you enough time to get out would be 15 trading days or three weeks. Um, and you need I to have an watching the video. Maybe we could show that slide uh, to just kind of drum that drum that point home. And you can see there's that scatter diagram and there's a lot of clustering right around the uh, the axis there. But the main thing was it it came pretty clear to me. You need to have some sort of gain. And it looked like three percent was uh, an index gain that qualified for like uh, a level where you could start to make money on uh, anything below three percent um, was a small losses or gain. And anything less than 15 days was just a whipsaw. And so uh, that's kind of how I drew the lines. Mm -hmm. And all, all of these individual dots were follow-through days that you went back. And so I'm assuming you, you started out with kind of the 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 paper on, on digital or maybe even daily graphs. And then you also went back and were looking at papers from the library, right? You got it. Um, luckily, uh, there was a group in Petaluma, uh, Lee Tanner's group, mm -hmm. and they had uh, some people go to the library and go through all the newspapers back to wow. 1994. Wow. And they shared that with me. And I was I thanked them for that. And uh, I went from that further back uh, by making some a little program in trade station that would allow me to go back on the Dow back to 1949. So I was able to trace back uh, to 1949. Uh, with trade station and also i found some little hidden easter eggs that to me they were hidden easter eggs um <laughs> when i was looking at the 30th anniversary um ibd charts of the america's greatest opportunity stocks yeah i assume justin annotated these and there were on <laughs> yeah, on those charts <laughs> there were uh, relative strength lines on some of them and there were days with little lines that showed follow-through days yeah. I was like, wait a minute. And then it made me think, what if they did this in all the level one or two or three or four books? And sure enough, in the, um, I think it was in the, uh, not the, you know, the market school had, but also um, the model, uh, the model book, stock uh, summit. Yeah, model stock summit. Right. And some of the mm -hmm. chart schools It's like, oh, I can find, if I look at these charts, follow through days that go prior to when the paper was uh, made. And mm -hmm. I started to uh, double check things and I started making my own criteria. And I was able to go back to 1949 and, and come up with follow through days. Mm -hmm. And this was across different indexes, right? Because, I mean, we certainly yeah. say that um, you only need one of the indexes to to qualify as a follow through day in order to m move things into a confirmed rally. So did you, you were looking at all the indexes, all the indices. And, you know, at some point uh, you had to use the Dow because there was no S&P 500. And right, I think exactly the same thing with the Nasdaq. So, yeah, the Nasdaq didn't come around until 73. So if you want yeah. 1949, you're not using the Nasdaq. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, right. So and, and, and maybe maybe go into a little bit more of, um, you know, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into it. But this whole idea of the slog. You know, so what is the slog? Uh, the slog is an uh, acronym for small losses or gains. And a slog is one uh, rally where it's um, you get less than a 3% gain and it lasts, um, I'm trying to remember now, uh, it goes between 15 days. Um, it, it, it's longer than 15 days, but you get a gain of only 3% or less. Mm -hmm. And, and you and you would end it when IBD would switch it back to a, a marketing correction? Exactly. Okay. The day the market goes into a correction, 
uh, is when you say that's the end of the rally. And then you measure how much it gained from the close of the follow through day to that end date. And then that's okay. how you find out what percent the index gained. Okay. Now, what about the peak? Because sometimes the market can come off its peak quite a bit. Uh, so did you have that factor in there as well? I did. I did measure uh, what the peak gains were. Um, but when it came to uh, trying to categorize everything, I mean, it would be really complicated if you showed a lot of charts with two different numbers. Um, but I decided to use the close on the uh, rally end date because the reality is most people don't know when the peak is occurring. You're not selling your stocks <laughs> or your ETF. Oh, I, can, I can tell you after the fact, Eric. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I can nail it every time. <laughs> and so I always felt like it was a little bit conservative to use the rally end date. But the truth is most people would probably sell some stocks as the market started to come down. Um, and then hold on to others because you always think you have like the next uh, Cisco or some sort of long-term uh, winner. And so people will probably sell some and hold on to others. Mm -hmm. And, and, and were, so, there, were there some con kind of common characteristics that were different in the life changer or moneymaker versus uh, a slog kind of early on in that 15-day range after the, the fall-through day? There were. And to me, the most surprising thing was the things I expected to be factors that would make a difference yeah. ended up not being factors that meant anything at all. For example, when I first started the study, I thought, well, the follow through days that work, they'll probably be the ones that have the biggest increase in volume right. from the prior day to the day of the follow through day. And that was not the case. Um, in fact, um, I also found I thought, well, maybe the price increase. If the follow through day has a really big price increase, that is going to say, this is a rally that's gonna work and be a long-term money maker or a life changer. And again, that was not the case. And I think um, it kind of goes in line with some of the biggest up days in market histories are during bear markets. Yes, and right. so it's not surprising that you could have a big gain on a follow through day that ends up being a whipsaw or a, or a slog or something because many times it occurs follow through day after a big, big downtrend and a washout. And those end up being rallies that don't work. Mm -hmm. Especially since, uh, you know, when, when you started, you had just come uh, after a big market correction where you had some of those biggest days in the NASDAQ, um, you know, days that were over 10%. And then uh, that once in a lifetime event, you know, we had another one not too long yeah. after that in 2008. 2008. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was told that was a once in a lifetime event. Yeah. And I, I won my money back on that one. Um, yeah. So in addition to the kind of that, that initial day, you know, there's the, the follow through day and the size gain and the volume. So again, you didn't find much of a correlation there. But what about what about those first I guess week or two or first, you know, first month, you know, is, is there information that that kind of tells you the, the yeah. action of the indexes um, that tells you, Hey, this is something that's working or uh, ideally if you can find out quickly, it's not working. You, you step aside before you get run over by that truck. And let's talk about the ones that help you step aside first. Um, I found two things that are really good um, indicators of whether the rally is going to fail or not. Uh, the first one is if you get professional distribution or a day where the index drops more than 0.2% and heavier volume than the day before, if you get that on day one, right after the follow through day or day two or day three, mm -hmm. there is an 80% chance that rally will end up being a uh, whipsaw or a slog, something you really can't make money at. And in fact, if you get um, two of those three days, it's the odds go from like 80% to like 90 to 95% that that will not be a rally you can make money. And so right after a follow through day, watch for professional distribution. If you get it, you should start really start thinking about, you know, backing off and any investing or not investing money at all if you haven't started yet. Um, the second thing is if you get a close below the low of the follow through day, that is even a better indicator. Um, over 90% of the rallies fail or become whipsaws or slogs if you get a close below the low of the follow through day. Was there a date range between that within the first, was it within those first 15 days or it just it, it just didn't matter at that, that point? It really doesn't matter. I mean, like okay. um, it, it, I would say if you get it within the first 15 days, but most of them occur um, sooner than that. But right. um, if right. you get a close below that within the first 15 days, watch out. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot and, of sense. And, and so people know a lot of times, uh, we, we use as our line in the sand, the low of the rally day, 
right? So that that's when things officially fail. Right. But as you say, there's there's indicators a lot of times. You know, you'll mm-hmm. sometimes you'll see it in your individual stocks. Sometimes, um, you know, you'll see that weakness uh, in in the indexes uh, ahead of time or the distribution. Um, one thing I will say, because I, I know Chris, um, gosh, this was over a decade. Chris Gessel, our chief content officer, uh, came to that conclusion of the distribution right after a follow through day. Yes. And as I was looking at his data, the one the one caveat, because I was showing it to Bill too, and the one caveat is that there were some very powerful rallies, some of those life changer rallies that ended mm-hmm. up having distribution in that first three day window. Right. And so you have to be very careful sometimes wow. knowing, okay, here's here's how the statistics go, but um, you know, you, you can have you can have a life changer uh, in having some of these factors, especially the distribution one. And I found the same thing. And my data agrees. It's it's like 80% chance it's not a good rally. But there's 20% that would be. So. <laughs> right, yeah, right. like if they can rally, now it's going to be, yeah. it could be a life changer rally at that yeah. point. But, you know, yeah. That's pretty incredible. Okay, well, uh, let's go ahead and uh, take a break real quick. And when we come back, we're going to get into some more of the findings of the follow-through day and see how we can apply some of these to the current rally. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. To help alleviate some of the pain that comes from bear markets, we recommend investing 20 to 25% of the equity portion of your portfolio in a tactical strategy. If you are especially risk averse, we recommend a higher percentage. In 2008, the market declined 37%, yet our portfolio was only down 12%. Why? Because the conditions for investing were poor, so we held a lot of cash. Visit northcoastam.com slash tactical. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by North Coast. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pires and our special guest, Eric Kroll, co-author of The Lifecycle Trade and manager and founder of Kroll Asset Management. So, Eric, uh, we were talking a little bit about, you know, how these uh, different categories kind of pan out. So maybe we could show this chart for uh, folks that are watching the video that kind of show the distribution of where where the money-making opportunities are and, and where they're not. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, what was uh, really illustrative to me was that you end up with opportunities to make money only about 31% of the time. And that was a big surprise. Um, you end up with about 69% of the time, they're not, follow-through days do not produce good money-making opportunities. Um, but 43% of those 69 end up being ones where you get small losses or gains. So you get just enough time to find out that maybe it's working and you can probably get out without too much uh, problem. And so when you add up that 43% of the small losses or gains with that 31% of making money, you get the magic 75% that mm-hmm. I was pursuing many years earlier from the wow. book. It's like, how can you say 70, 80% of them work? And it's, you can do that by saying, if you count the ones where you can make money or get out, uh, with a small loss or gain or, you know, have enough time to see it isn't working, that's where you can get the 70 to 75%. Well, and also, I guess another point here is that this is what the indexes do, but sometimes you right. have those individual stocks that are even more powerful. Exactly. We, uh, When you look at like the percent gains that I show for, let's say, the uh, life changers, which are more than 15% gains for the index, and money makers, which are between 3% and 15%. You have to remember that's the index. You've got stocks that individual stocks are going to gain much more than that. And, and I, I was going to ask, I was going to kind of go off the same same thing where it, it, obviously you were just focusing on falter days here, but a lot of times when you're when we're looking to buy, as you mentioned earlier, we're going for those individual stocks. And so if you see one of those great growth stocks setting up that's when you're really going for it and you can almost tell at that point that maybe the odds are a little bit better because there are a number of great growth stocks setting up and they're all mm-hmm. kind of breaking out one after the other exactly i mean we're talking a lot about the indices here but you also have to look at what are the leading industry groups uh you know not just the index and what are some of the leading stocks and in leading industries so let's talk about uh additional fall through days because that's something that definitely when I started learning about this 20 plus years ago, we weren't really talking about it, but I feel like we're talking about additional falter days and just kind of at least noting them saying, hey, there's another another here's another day that would have qualified for a falter day if we didn't get the previous one. 
Did you look into any of those characteristics to see if it improved the odds of, for a rally or a moneymaker type of event? Yes, I did. And uh, what I found was this, and no surprise here, uh, follow through days produce rallies that work uh, when you start to see that it, um, you get additional follow-through days or subsequent follow-through days, um, and the indices are starting to rise, no surprise, right? Yeah. Um, that a, a rally that uh, could be one to make money is one that's working as you start going through it in the first uh, 10 to 20 days. And uh, I found that when you, you want to um, look at like the money makers and the life changers, you get additional follow-through days um, you know, pretty quickly after that. And what I found was within the first 20 uh, um, trading days post the follow through, uh, you get on money makers and life changers about uh, six accumulation days where you get gains and heavier volumes than the prior day and three to four additional follow through days. Um, and the, this current rally right now that we're in, it's looking like a slog and it feels like a slog. We haven't had any additional follow through days on the S&P since we are tracking this follow-through day on the S&P index, I'm following the S&P and there hasn't been any additional follow-through days. The NASDAQ has had a couple, okay? Mm -hmm. But that's not the one that produced the follow-through day this time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, you have to see additional follow-through days and you also wanna see some pretty good gains. And what I mean by that is this, in the first 20 days, uh, money makers gain about 5.5% on the index and life changers gain almost 8%. And when I looked at today, mid intraday, the S&P was only up uh, 2%, 2.2% uh, from the follow through day, and we're on day 24. So this is an indication to me that this rally right now that we're in is a slog. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, you're talking about this, this kind of window of 20 to 25 days to kind of let you know, hey, is this, is this one that's working? And it's certainly, we always find that the market does tend to act as this feedback mechanism, right? You, you exactly. start putting your money in and, okay, well, if, it, if it's working, you're going to get more kind of treats. Like, yeah, hey, I'll put more money in because it, it, it's working and everything. But is there anything to um, how long these last? So once, once you get that follow-through day, um, how much time do you have in order to take advantage of the uptrend? Um, less time than I thought before I did the study. Um, what I found was approximately 80% of all rallies are finished within 50 trading days or less. And when I talk about days, I'm always talking trading days, not calendar days. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at 10 weeks of trading here. Um, that was a really big surprise to me um, where you end up with uh, most rallies end up uh, not going beyond 10 weeks. And how it changed my trading was that I started to realize that I shouldn't be hanging on to all my stocks as the rally gets longer like this and start to sell laggards. When I say laggards, they may have gains, but they're not as good as maybe my leading stocks. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you start getting eight, nine, 10 weeks into the rally, um, start to, you know, back off a little bit. It's not all or nothing decisions, you know, when you do this. Um, and maybe in some of the stocks, maybe they're up only one, two, 5%, something like that. Maybe sell the whole thing on that one. But then you have your bigger gains, you hold on to those. And as I started getting into 10 weeks, I start hedging. I start buying puts on those big positions because I know statistically, going back to 1949, you don't, the rallies don't last beyond 50 days very often. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that really does put in perspective because it's a lot of times when these follow through days start working and you start making progress and it's probably around 50 days into it, you're starting to think that, wow, you're pretty good at this. And you're you you got it, and you have the best leaders, and they're never going to stop going up. So, quant exactly. putting a little bit of a number to this really puts uh, a little bit more perspective. Yeah, when you start to look for that vacation condo somewhere, that's about the time <laughs> you need to uh, start selling. That, that's a market indicator right there. Yeah. Well, and and also, I think it also kind of speaks to that point where a lot of times people almost want too much evidence. You know, it's yeah. like I'm not going to start. If, if they got out, they don't want to put their money back in until it's, you know, I really want to see, you know, all of these different signals. And if you're late, then, gosh, you might be, you might not have much time if you, if you get in too late. Exactly. Um, so, for example, right now, the current rally in the S&P, I think this is day 24. Um, 
based on that chart we just saw, we're about halfway done potentially with this rally. Now, it, it could keep going on longer. Maybe things improve with an earnings season here. We start to see more accumulation and we see this you know, market acting better, which are you know, great signals. But uh, you know, if we're 20 days into it already and only have like a 2% gain in the index and stocks don't look that well, you know, it kind of tells you how you should be acting. Yeah, and, and that almost goes right into your you're finishing right into the middle of May and, and kind of lining up with the sell in May go away type of uh, truism that that's out there. Right. Um, and then having done this uh, follow through day study, I found that that truism doesn't work very well. <laughs> <But that's okay. laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Well, you know, on, on IBD Live, we were talking about the error of commission versus the error of omission. And yeah. the problem is if you get one of those powerful rallies that do end or do start between that May and October where you're supposed to, you know, go away. Well, mm -hmm. shoot, you could be missing out on some, some great opportunities. Exactly. Exactly. What, what about moving averages? Uh, do you do any work on, on that and how that kind of correlates to a fall today? I did. I checked to see where the index close on the follow-through day versus the 50-day moving average and the 200-day moving average. And what I found was the life changer rallies end up occurring most often if the um, index closes below both the 50 and the 200-day moving average. Wow. Um, if you close above both of them, um, you can have a slog or moneymaker, um, but less likely the life changer. Um, so it seems like the life changer rallies start after a really bad market when, you know, you have a follow through day and you're below both of those moving averages. Yeah, I, I guess yeah. that kind of makes sense, right? You have Newton's the laws of physics right there, out, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you get a lot of uh, instances where you get a follow through day when the index is above both of those mm -hmm. after a minor correction. And then it goes on for a gain, but it's not a life changing gain. It's a little bit more of a money making opportunity where you can have you know, subsequent money making, you know, one after another, smaller gains, uh, two or three of those in a row, because the index is staying above those uh, moving averages. And I will just say one of the things that is a little bit tricky about these studies is, um, you know, the, as, as you mentioned here, the positioning is, is very different. You know, are, have you come from a major correction where you are below both the 50 and the 200? Or is this maybe an intermediate correction in an overall secular bull, you know, and that's where it's going to be almost more of a pullback, not really a correction, but it'll be enough of a correction that it will have a follow through day. And so again, those results may vary. Well, uh, this has been great information on the follow through day. So maybe we can turn our attention now to the current market so we can kind of talk a little bit about where where we're at. You already alluded uh, to this with the S&P 500 quite a bit. So maybe we start there and just remind folks that we did have that follow through day on March 16th. And one of the things that was a little bit more powerful about the S&P 500 versus the NASDAQ is that it didn't undercut its February 24th uh, low. And that's what allowed it to be in the position to have a follow through day. Um, so talk a little bit about where we're at right now and some of the things that you've seen that you like some of the th things that you've seen that you don't like all right well the first thing uh, about this follow-through day was it was on day 16 and most follow-through days occur much earlier than that um, i think it was 80 percent of them occur uh, on the seventh trading day after the first rally day or less and so this was a day 16 a later one and we've had some later ones that work we've had some that occurred on day 21 and they turn out to be great rallies mm -hmm. so i was a little suspect on day 16 but not too much because i know it could be a good one but what i noticed uh on the good news was there were no professional distribution days in the first five days of trading after the follow-through day. So that's good. Uh, we did. We have not undercut the follow-through day low. That's another good sign. Um, but we did not have any subsequent follow-through days, days that would have qualified as their own follow-through day since then. Um, so we, and also we're only up, like I said, I think it's maybe 2.2% uh, since that follow-through day and we're on day 24. So this has the characteristics of a slog or a small loss or gain uh, scenario where we end up with maybe a 3% gain in the index to 15% gain before we get our next uh, correction. Now, of course, uh, these are all just statistics and things can change. Um, 
if Russia and Ukraine have a, uh, some sort of peace agreement and stocks that are reporting earnings in this quarter start having better than expected and they start projecting uh, better growth, well, that can change everything. And, you know, maybe the market takes off. But at least from a statistical viewpoint right now, this is looking like a small loss or gain type of rally. Yeah, this is kind of just like a it's just it's not our typical kind of rally. Right. Where the growth stocks aren't the ones leading this time around. It's all, right. all a lot of commodity stocks. And so it's it's yeah, I, the way I look at this, it's not kind of the O'Neill rally. But that being said, even though it is a slog right now, there have been a number of energy or commodity stocks that are they're acting like they're in 2020. Right, they're they're just going through the roof right now. So Metal, it is really fertilizers, the, the kind yes. of things that normally we don't watch, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it yeah. is really interesting that we're seeing this environment that's not kind of our classic environment, and and it's very easy to be thrown off if you're so used to using fall through days, looking for stocks in strong industry groups that are growth related, but meanwhile, all the top industry groups are more commodity related. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can just uh, take a look at the NASDAQ to kind of round out our market discussion, current market discussion. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, the, the follow through day was a little bit later on the NASDAQ. Uh, one of the reasons, of course, was it did undercut its February 24th uh, low. And so that kind of meant that you had to reset your count. You had to start counting again. And remember, we're typically looking at at least day four or later uh, before we count to follow through day. And so that didn't happen on the NASDAQ until March 18th. But if you were using the NASDAQ, you have had some subsequent follow-through days. Is the position of those subsequent follow-through days an issue, though? Um, not so much the position of them. I'm, I'm more concerned about the fact that we've given up a lot of those gains, and we mm -hmm. really uh, bumped up against that 200-day moving average, and that acted like resistance. And uh, that, that made it look like um, it's not very good. And we've now had professional distribution on the NASDAQ. I don't, I forgot the count. Maybe you know that better than I do, Justin, Four. but I think it's, yeah. yeah. And uh, that hasn't really happened so much on the S&P. So um, yeah, if we didn't have any professional distribution right away after that follow through day for the NASDAQ, but um, we, we just recently have not been acting well at all. Right. And it was, it was pretty powerful. I mean, you had the follow through on March 18th and you had a, a subsequent follow through day on March 24th, a subsequent follow through day on March 29th. And that's when things kind of rolled over. Um, exactly. We actually got, you know, technically yesterday was a subsequent follow through day. One, we're yes. still in the 25 day <laughs> yeah. window. So yesterday was technically a subsequent follow through day. Exactly. But I guess what I was alluding to is I've, I've found that when you get your subsequent follow through days, this was, you know, the third subsequent follow through day, but it was below the March 18th follow through day and the yeah. other subsequent follow through days that that doesn't speak highly. I, and I agree with you. <laughs> and and even if you're below the 21 uh, exponential moving average, that's also not a good thing. You you want to make some room above that. And so the positioning of that is, is right. I agree with you on that. Well, this almost looks like it's a. A classic bear market rally like we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier you're getting some really powerful days uh and and getting people excited but when it gets to those critical resistance areas now it's selling off and, and then it's just kind of trapping everybody it, it sure does look like that doesn't it mm -hmm. you know but to arusha's earlier point of course you have some of these other stocks that are uh doing something completely different from the indexes and even the indexes themselves uh, it was kind of weird that uh, at least this rally at, at, at the start, some of the most powerful days seemed like it was the the bottom fishing that was really powering the indexes higher. Um, you know, yesterday I, I was looking at the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500 and the biggest gainers for that day, which it was a strong day, but the biggest gainers were all still below their 200-day moving average yeah. line. <laughs> so, right. Uh, you know, it, it kind of goes to your point about the setups, you know, what kind of setups do you have in your individual stocks? And that's where this has been very different in terms of what's been setting up. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go ahead and uh, move on. In our next segment, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stocks that may be on your radar and maybe some of the statistics that you use from your life cycle trade book uh, that, that you did with your co-authors uh, might come into play there. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. To help alleviate some of the pain that comes from bear markets, we recommend investing 20 to 25% of the equity portion of your portfolio in a tactical strategy. 
If you are especially risk-averse, we recommend a higher percentage. In 2008, the market declined 37%, yet our portfolio was only down 12%. Why? Because the conditions for investing were poor, so we held a lot of cash. Visit northcoastam.com tactical. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by North Coast. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pierce from O'Neill Global Advisors and our special guest, Eric Kroll, co-author of The Life Cycle Trade and manager and founder of Kroll Asset Management. So, Eric, um, before we move on into some stocks, uh, certainly because there's still slim pickings out there, let's, let's go ahead and get, let you get a chance to do a kind of final thoughts on everything that you've kind of learned through all your studies, um, boil it down into kind of a few bullet points for folks. Uh, the main thing is this, when there's a follow through day, don't repeat the mistake I did way back in the early 2000s where I was rushing in and plunging in with a lot of capital. Uh, so don't rush in with a lot of capital. Much of your gains are going to be made after the first week or two after a follow through day. Uh, leading stocks and how they act are a key determinant of how and you know whether the rally will succeed. Um, but it's also really hard to know whether in advance, you, it, you can't tell in advance whether the follow through day will produce a successful money making or life changing rally and how it starts to act soon after the follow through day is key. So you, you buy a stock or two right after on a follow through day or soon after. And then if it starts to work and your stocks are rewarding you with gains, then you add to it. And then as, a little bit later. If you get subsequent follow days, then you add some more stocks or add more to the stocks you have. Uh, but just there's no reason to plunge in. Well said, well said. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to some individual stocks. And uh, one of the things that certainly seemed to come back on our radar this week was the the reopening plays, you know, some of the travel and, you know, I mean, certainly after the Delta Airlines earnings, um, we've also had the hotels. So maybe talk a little bit about Airbnb. And we should also mention here again the, the book. We've had Kathy Donnelly on. We've had E. Bobach on. Um, Kurt Dale was also involved in that book as, as well as yourself. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of statistics on IPOs and how to handle those. So um, where does Airbnb fall with everything that you've learned from that lifecycle trade book that you did? Well, if you can put it on a weekly chart, it's a little bit easier to see. Um, you can see that there was an initial IPO advance phase uh, right after the IPO, and then it peaked, and then it started to come on down. It didn't quite undercut the IPO day one low like most IPOs do, but it's in what we call now the institutional due diligence phase, where it's going sideways and it's going a long time, which is great. We like to see um, institutional due diligence phases of six months to a year to two years. And when it goes sideways like this, uh, that's a sign that even in a bad market, they're not really selling this one off too much. Because uh, we could pull up a lot of IPOs and you can see they plunged way below their day one low and they're just looking mm -hmm. terrible. Uh, but this one looks pretty good. It looks like it's setting up. It's got a nice flat relative strength line. And I'd be looking for this stock to you know go more than 30% off its low and form some sort of base like it looks like it might be doing now. And I'd like to see it break out in heavy volume and go from there. Uh, I expect it to run into some uh, turbulence uh, right around the old high. Uh, and if it can burst through that in heavy volume, that to me, that starts the institutional advance phase. And that's where I get really excited. Yeah, it's really interesting because they're going to report earnings in a couple of weeks. And so maybe that's the catalyst to now explode yeah. through test of resistance, maybe going to new highs and start that accumulation phase if they guide higher or really kind that's, of. That's a great point. Yeah, I, that's a really good point. And I'd, I'd be right now not buying it in anticipation. Right. There's no reason to anticipate. You just wait and see. Mm -hmm. Now, um, with with some of these IPOs, um, how much is the fundamentals in terms of the the revenue growth, the earnings growth, all of those things? Because you know it's 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 had a little bit of spottiness there. Um, is that something that bothers you, or is that just part of that due diligence phase as it's kind of uh, getting getting its ground, uh, getting the the ground underneath it? I think you've nailed it. That is part of the due diligence phase. Institutional investors need to see how are the earnings growing? How are the sales growing before they really start to buy and accumulate the shares? Um, what I see is, you know, maybe the, you know, 
six quarters ago and seven quarters ago, they were red and not looking good. But if you start to so, show the positive growth, uh, both in sales and earnings, that's what you need to see. And um, the other thing is the volume. Uh, surprisingly, um, we found that if the stock trades less than $20 million of volume per day, uh, that's also a, a bad indication. You want to see it trading more than that. So institutions can get in and get out without changing the price too much. And many IPOs do not trade that. In fact, we found like 78% uh, of them um, are, are uh, not liquid enough to trade, whereas Airbnb is is one of those. Mm -hmm. Well, we already have four funds from the IBD Mutual Fund Index in, in the stock. Doesn't look that like they're necessarily... Yes, that's a good sign. And doesn't necessarily look like they're increasing just yet but they're not necessarily selling too. So they're mm -hmm. kind of just hanging in there and doing their due diligence and waiting probably for that earnings. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now you mentioned uh, while we were off air, uh, a, a stock that I had never heard of uh, LWLG. This is not one that's been on my radar. Um, another recent IPO. Uh, what, what is it that attracted you to this one? And what are some of the characteristics that, uh, you know, are a little bit different from Airbnb, but are still within the those statistics that you were finding out in your in your studies. Well, Lightwave Technologies, um, they're an interesting company in that they're a chip making company that uh, uses uh, instead of like the traditional small little you know infinitesimally small wires, they use like light uh, technology. So they have uh, faster. Uh, transmission of signals on the chip and also lower power. That's the big deal. If you can use a lot less power and you put up these server farms and you can cut your power cost by 20, 30, 40%, that also means you're also putting out a lot less heat and you can spend a lot less money on air conditioning for those server farms. So that's what attracted me from a fundamental viewpoint and story. But this one uh, had a little bit of an IPO advance, uh, short term in the weekly, came down, undercut its day one low, and then uh, took off and it had a nice IPO advance and it was a pretty powerful one in terms of percentage. And then with a the bad market, it, it got really hit hard and it undercut uh, its first uh, low there and now starting to come back. And so I'm looking for this stock um, to go sideways a little bit longer. Um, it's more than 30% off its low. I, I'd like to see it form its first base more than 30% off its low and then break out from there. And it looks like it's not obeying and it's trying to break out early. Uh, but it's... Uh, but I am watching it, and it's a, a stock that uh, doesn't have as much volume as I'd like. It is below that $20 million per uh, day of trading volume, so it's a little bit more risky, but it is something I'm watching. Do you see when a stock is acting like, like a light wave and it's now starting to come back 30% off its lows, that when it's going through the potential due diligence phase, does it need more time than right now, or have you seen some that – they just take off or does it really just kind of depend on the market? Um, most take more time than that. Yeah. Um, and it is a little bit market dependent. Um, if you go back a year ago when it seemed like there were a lot of IPOs just taking off right. and running, um, it was a different story. But uh, it, it, what's working against it here is it's a little bit of a weak market, um, which really pushed it down hard and fast. Uh, but I'm surprised it's coming back as, as quickly as it is. So We'll see. It's it's choppy, a little volatile, and it's acting a little bit unusual compared to what we've seen for big winners. So one of the things, I, and I'm not sure if you've looked into this, but I noticed that the revenue is uh, it, it doesn't have it yet. Um, do, do do you know what's going on there? Is are those just numbers that haven't been filled in, or you know that I don't know. I, I have to be honest with you. So. Um, I haven't, I've, I haven't done my due diligence yet, but okay. uh, <laughs> hey, that's that's what the due diligence is for, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, allows that's you to right. kick the tires. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of times we find these uh, because of the technical uh, action that's going on, and um, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's you know, as you kick the tires and start you know figuring out what's going on there, uh, that mm -hmm. that's where you learn more about it to see if it's something that you end up buying. Right? Yeah, and there, and there aren't uh, too many uh, funds in that. Well, there's zero IVD mutual funds in it and uh even just number of funds so you're starting people just starting to take yeah. a look into it yeah it's pretty yeah this is what i'm watching i'm not in it mm -hmm. yet but it's right. something that i'm just keeping an eye on yeah. well and and you kind of almost alluded to that you have this kind of categorized differently this is maybe you know because of it not having the ownership yet because it's a little bit lower liquidity um is there is there a time factor that you have an expectation where in that first 
year or two of the IPO where, hey, maybe it's going to be doing a lot of this dilly-dallying around before it really shows its stripes of, of what its potential is, or that this is just not something that's going to work, which again, people have to remember, you get, you know, you, you have all these people that get excited about, oh, well, I want to get the, the IPO. Um, and they remember all the winners, but they don't remember right. how many, <laughs> because you never think of the ones that, you know, don't work, you know, no, no one thinks about those. Uh, um, so what, 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 you know, I think my, you've already my, alluded to the category here. Yeah, my, my time frame would be, you know, a year to two years after its IPO, uh, mm -hmm. you know, initial public offering. That's when I start to really get a little bit more interested in it, because by then, the if it's one to two years, you're looking at they've already had, you know, four to eight uh, earnings cycles that they've reported. And that's when institutions can decide whether or not they're investing in it. And it should show up by then. Mm hmm. And certainly with the IPO craze that we had last year, I mean, it was, you know, breaking records. Uh, now, SPACs, the special purpose acquisition companies, were a big part of that uh, kind of IPO craze. Um, do you do you feel like things might need a little bit more time here because things got so crazy in 2021? I, I think so. Um, I think there were 844 IPOs last year in about half of those were SPACs wow. and uh, those turn out to be in general a terrible investment for most people if you bought um, like from the when the day they announced the the uh, their acquisition candidate or something like that um, those ended up most of them being just um, you know money losers um, and I think a lot of that excess has to be worked out of the pipeline the system I think a lot of people have been burnt um, institutional investors, I think, are going to be more shy, and I think it's going to take a long time before the SPAC route uh, is something people will be interested in. And with this market the way it is right now, this is not a good uh, market from January till now. Mm -hmm. uh, the IPO pipeline is pretty much dried up. Uh, so I expect uh, as the market gets better, you'll start to see the best IPOs coming on, you know, in line again to go public. Uh, but I don't think you'll see too many SPACs. We'll see. And, you know, you, you mentioned how the January has been a little bit tough since January, but for a lot of these growth stocks and some of these IPOs and SPACs, it really seemed like a lot of their tops were actually in February of last year. So you still yeah. had that yeah. craze going on that you were mentioning, oh, yeah. again, over 800. Yeah. Um, you still had that craze going on, even though <laughs> a lot of these were running into trouble What much, much earlier. Yeah. And if you pulled up any charts from SPACs or um, IPOs after August, the vast majority didn't have any gains and they went just decayed down, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. OK, let's go ahead and round out the discussion with um, uh, Dutch Bros, which this is one that's been just seeming to be on the lips of everyone, uh, especially growth investors. Um, it's really kind of captured, I guess, the imagination of what could be possible. Um, why, why do you think that is on Dutch Bros? You know, I, I just remember Bill O'Neill saying that in all, um, you know, of his investing career, there were some industry groups that he made a lot of money in, and retail was one of them. This is a, a retail establishment. If you if you come up with a good concept and it's good in its one area, then you can expand nationwide and just keep growing. And maybe that's what people see with this one. I don't know. There's not any of these Dutch brothers near me, um, but it looks like in terms of the, the way the uh, stock's performance is looking it had a quick IPO advance, came down in a bad market, and now it's going sideways in this due diligence phase, uh, chopping up and down. And again, it looks like it's more than 30% off the low already, but I'd be looking for a good base formation and then a breakout in heavy volume from a proper base. Um, not sure um, what they do that's different than other places like Starbucks, but it seems to have caught the attention of a lot of people, and uh, we'll see how it acts. Yeah, I actually start. I actually looked into this. Uh, it's a pretty interesting story, but they they have uh, it, it's hot or cold espresso drinks, energy drinks, and and they really encourage customization. And the way I looked at it is, it was a lot of sugary drinks. So you're getting all these all, all these customers addicted to their drinks, and it, it was a really interesting kind of environment there uh, with the workers there. It looked like a a really fun environment. Very small stores, drive-throughs, uh, and the lines apparently are just huge for this. And a lot of people are they're younger, female, and they're going to these stores after twelve. A lot of them, which I thought was really interesting. So, it, while it is midnight, 
no, after sorry, after twelve noon. Um, okay. But, so, but uh, <laughs> uh, so they're they're competing with Starbucks, but not necessarily. So it they they have uh, they've been around since nineteen ninety two, and um, just been slowly growing and and growing, and um, they're no nowhere on the east just yet, and um, so it's all kind of west coast right now. Which is one of those kind of there 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 is a, a market to grow into, so it, it is kind of interesting, and it doesn't surprise me that people are uh, are keeping an eye on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, just as you said, Eric, I mean it's it's with these retail establishment, it, it's that expansion that really can um, power stocks. I mean, it's you see that over and over, especially in the restaurants related. Um, whether it's Chipotle, McDonald's, um, you know, what have you. There's there's just so many examples in our model book stocks of these these retail places that expand, and uh, that's that's where the big gains come from in the stock. So look at that relative strength line, how flat that is. Um, yeah. If we can get uh, a breakout in heavy volume, uh, maybe after a good earnings report, uh, that would really be a good sign. And then again, expect some turbulence near the old high. And then if you can power through that, then uh, then you're looking at a nice institutional advance phase. Wonderful. Well, Eric, it was uh, great having you on the show. Great to see you. Uh, again, you have a soft spot in my heart. One of the first times I went to a big speaking event was at your uh, meetup group. And it was like last minute, I they threw me on a plane. And um, yeah, you were, you were just so kind and helpful to me on on one of my first ones. So great having you on the show. And thank you so much for doing that digging into the statistics um, and, and everything like that and sharing your sharing your your data uh, with us, because it, it certainly helps, I think, for our subscribers to know those statistics when they're doing their own investing to get that success rate higher for them. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, thanks for the kind words. And uh, I'll just echo it was really great when you came out for, uh, to Naperville many years ago. Uh, we had a good time. I thought you were very generous with your time and with your knowledge. And we, we really appreciated it back then. And uh, I know you're a data guy. So one of these days, I'm going to update this study. And we'll because uh, you always keep updating, right? Because we get more follow through days. Yep. And, uh, uh, I, I update every night for, for market school. And I, I should also mention that was a, another funny thing. You were you were in that first market school. That we did right uh, yes yeah, so, yes um you, you were among the guinea pigs we're like hey we've got this concept uh we're gonna throw it out there and um man we were like oh we we, we really tried to simplify it as much as possible and you had yeah uh, <laughs> you had a number of, uh, you know we, we we tested it out in chicago specifically because we had some of our most sophisticated investors out there and eric was like okay guys here's uh here, here's my feedback <laughs> I, I think your chart books were still warm when you guys uh, delivered them that morning <laughs> exactly uh yeah it was a it was a fun time and wasn't that where we had an indian wedding going on uh, yeah, uh right, right outside the hotel right outside, and some yeah. elephants were going uh going down the street yeah. and it was very yeah. interesting so uh yeah. again great seeing you eric Eric, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, thank you. It was great to be with you guys. Okay. Uh, well, that's it for this week's Investing with IBD podcast. Next week, Arusha, you're ditching me. Is that right? I am. Happily. Yes. Happily, happily ditching me. So we will uh, uh, have to go without Arusha, but that's okay because David Saito Chung, uh, the deputy markets editor at Investors Business Daily, will be with me and will be uh getting getting his thoughts on the market as it stands so stay tuned for that thanks for watching this show we'll see you next week make sure to subscribe rate and review our podcast if you haven't already we'd really appreciate it you can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com we would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.